Hebrews 11, we'll be starting in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he, when he became of age, ref, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea and as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak, and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, and they were sawn in two, were tempted, and were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony, their faith did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. you have your Bibles, go ahead and keep them open there to Hebrews 11. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 23 through 29. 23 to 29. Before we jump in here, I'm going to ask if you would join me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word of truth. We thank you for allowing your words to be heard. In a country that we live in, it is... Refreshing and an encouraging thing on a Lord's Day to come and be able to hear your word. I pray that what we hear today transforms our living. I pray that we come away with an understanding that walking by faith changes everything. It explains why we do what we do. It manifests what we really believe about God and His Word. And it reveals where our treasure is. It reveals our heart. 
Father, we ask this morning that you would increase our faith and move us where you want us to be. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Got a question for you. Is your life explainable by faith? Is your life explainable by faith? I was thinking of David in Samuel 17. You might remember David and who? Goliath, right? Right, we all knew that, right? I hope. David and Goliath, Samuel 17. Uh, The apostles in Acts chapter 5, verse 20, when the angel of the Lord comes and rescues the apostles out of prison and rescues them to do what? You remember? To go back into the temple and preach again. Hosea. Hosea chapter 1, the beginning of Hosea's call includes taking a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. And each one of these three examples, David, the apostles, Hosea, there doesn't seem to be a logical takeaway for why these people operated the way that they did. Why would David, little David, why would he even think about fighting this giant, this champion named Goliath? Why would the apostles go back to the temple where they just recently got themselves arrested? Why would someone wish a prison sentence upon themselves? And why would anyone think of starting a family by marrying a known harlot and having children through harlotry? You see, with each one of these examples, there's nothing by way of human understanding that registers to make these decisions good and wise. We would see these things and go, that's probably not a good idea, David. Or Hosea, we'd counsel Hosea, Hosea, that's, that's probably not the best long-term decision for you to make. A life explainable by faith is a life that hears God speaking and acts accordingly. You see, David fights that day, understanding that the battle is the Lord's. The apostles preach with this realization that they can't help but preach and teach of the things that they've seen and heard. Remember, Jesus had just recently been raised from the dead, and that's all they're talking about. And Hosea marries a harlot and has children through a harlot because God spoke to him. See, as a prophet bearing the message of God in his day, Hosea does what he does out of obedience, knowing that God has a multifaceted way of communicating his message both to his people Israel... And through his people, through Hosea himself. Is your life explainable by faith? Listen, your life lived, not your life professed, but your life lived tells the true story. When people read your life story, when they read your life story, what's their response? If people were assigned to write a book summary of your life, What would they conclude after reading your life? What might they conclude? Well, Moses here in chapter 11 is the example. Remember, we're looking at examples here this month. Now, the writer's given us a whole list of examples. And Moses is the example set forth today. Remember that these men and women that we're reading here in Hebrews 11... The instruction is living by faith. It's what was needed for this Jewish audience who had only been accustomed to applying works. So the context is such that they've been introduced, remember, to a better Messiah in Christ and to a better covenant. 
And the question now comes along, how do I appropriate this better Jesus, this better new covenant? And along comes Hebrews 11, verse 1. You operate by faith, the writer says, not by works. If you're a child of God, you operate by faith. And then he goes on and says, essentially, let me show you how this works. And so we've arrived at 23 to 29, the life of Moses. Now, Moses' life shines light on walking by faith. No human wisdom can substantiate some of the decisions that Moses makes here, as recorded in these few verses we're going to look at. Now, from these verses, I believe God has revealed, through the example of Moses, four key identifiers of one who lives by faith. And in fact, you've got sticky notes. Did anybody not get four of them? I hope you got four of them. Okay, each of you should have four of them. If you don't, let me know and we'll get you some, some others. Okay? You know, we think about sticky notes. I don't know how many of you like sticky notes, but, you know, they're, you probably have jotted important notes down on them, uh, verses of scripture, right? Um, you, you want to remember something and you stick it on the mirror or in the bathroom or you put it by your bedside, someplace where you're going to see it often. Well, each of you this morning have been given four sticky notes. And I encourage you to write each one of these key identifiers. One per sticky note, okay? This will help engage you as well in what we're talking about this morning. I want you to keep these with you as reminders of who you are. Reminders of what walking by faith means. Reminders of how this faith gets implemented. Reminders even of your own faith story in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's my hope and prayer that these sticky notes will help cement the message of Hebrews 11, 23 to 29. Place it in your heart and your mind and pray the word of God would transform all of us to walk by faith and not by sight. So is your life explainable by faith? And what we'll see here is Moses' life has faith stamped all over it. So here's the key identifier number one. So you can write this on your first sticky note. I have been drawn out. I've been drawn out. I have been drawn out. We're going to look at verse 23 with this identifier. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. Now, context real quickly. Moses is born into a a tumultuous context in Egypt. His parents are from the line of Levi, Exodus chapter 2, verse 1. But prior to his birth, the people of God are being treated with cruelty. Joseph has gone. The king who served under Joseph is dead. The Hebrew people have multiplied at this time. And the new king is fearful that the Hebrews might become too numerous and rebel. And so what does he do? He enslaves them. He oppresses them. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Exodus chapter 2. Actually, the end of chapter 1. First... The last verse of chapter 1 in Exodus. So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born to the Hebrews in particular, you shall cast into the river. Did you hear that? Every son who is born, any Hebrew son born, you shall cast into the river. And you shall, every daughter you shall save alive. So then you get to Exodus 2. Verse 2, and it says, So the woman conceived, that would be Moses' mother, Jochebed, conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. 
You know, I read this verse, and, and sometimes it causes me to wonder, you know, what parent has not had a child that he or she thought was a beautiful child? Huh? Tell me in here, if any of your parents, come on, truth be told, did anybody, when your child was born, go, man, this child, this is just one of the, I, I don't know about this one. I don't know if they're going to make it. <laughs> no, all of us think when our child is born, they're beautiful. So what is, what is this about? She saw that he was a beautiful child. She hid him three months. I think one of the things we can do is look at other passages of Scripture to help us here. And Stephen, who is, remember, giving his speech in Acts 7. Stephen helps us because Stephen gives a historical account. And as he's sharing some history in Acts 7, he says this about Moses in Acts 7, verse 20. He says, at this time Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God. And he was brought up in his father's house for three months. So there's something about Moses. That word here, beautiful, is the same word used in Acts 7, 20, well-pleasing. Well-pleasing to whom? Well-pleasing to God. Something about Moses here in the text was well-pleasing to God, even from his birth. And his parents saw that he was beautiful to God. They couldn't see how God was yet going to use him, but they were fully convinced. That's faith terminology, fully convinced. They were fully convinced that his life was going to be used mightily by God who brought him into the world. You know, for most of us, we think of the birth of a child and it's a wonderful time of celebration. We want to tell everyone about it. We post pictures, we spread the news as quickly as we can. A child has been born. When Moses was born, that's not the case. See, he's hidden by his parents for three months. In case you're wondering why he was hidden for three months, Pharaoh had issued a decree to all of the people that all male Hebrew babies being born were to be thrown into the river. This is the context of Moses being brought into the world, friends. The command went out to all the people. And yet Amram and Jochebed, his parents, they keep their baby boy hidden for three months. Do you realize how difficult it would be to keep a newborn baby quiet for three months? Think about that for just a moment. Those of you who had newborns, those of you siblings that have had a newborn in the home and you know what that's like. Three months. Can you imagine the overwhelming thoughts of his mother doing her best to care for her baby, trying to keep him quiet, taking care of all of his needs, all the while guarding him against any surprise visitors that might be showing up in the neighborhood looking for Hebrew baby boys. His parents were not afraid of the king's commands. What the text says here in verse 23. They feared God. Praise God they feared him. They cared for the child. They loved the child instead of murdering it. They obeyed God instead of man. If you go back to the Exodus account. In Exodus chapter 2. Starting in verse 3. When she could no longer hide him. She took an ark of bulrushes for him. Daubed it with asphalt and pitch. Put the child in it. Laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. Think about this mom. She couldn't hide him any longer, and so she prepares this ark. 
and his sister Miriam stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. Her maidens walked along the riverside. When she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said, to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, this is so wonderful of God, isn't it? So gracious of God. Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. And then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me. I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Moses' mother got paid a wage to take care of her son. Isn't that like God? Look at verse 10. You might asterisk verse 10. The child grew. She brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. Because I drew him out of the water. Moses means literally drawn out. I think about the life of Moses and, and how he came into the world, and I'm reminded... Of Jesus when he came into the world. You might remember in Matthew's gospel chapter 2 verse 16. King Herod is king at the time. And when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men. Remember the wise men went a different route. Angel of the Lord's working all of this out. Herod got angry. He sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem. And in all the districts. Two years of age and younger. As we see that going on, we see how the Lord was drawing out his son at the same time. Matthew chapter 2 verse 13 says, An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So Jesus is drawn out of harm's way. God's providential care marks the landscape of scripture. It's evident In the birth of Moses, but similar in the early years of Jesus. Life was on the line. People wanted to take the lives of Moses and Jesus. And yet God intervenes. And what we see here in verse 23 of Hebrews 11, we see faithful parents listening to God when he speaks. See, this key identifier here applies to you as well. You have been drawn out. Listen, God makes no accidents. It's not by chance that you're sitting here this morning listening to this word. All of your days are ordained by a gracious and loving Heavenly Father. You have been drawn out. And just as Moses' parents hit him for three months, when they saw, they saw something in him, this, we talked about last week, this visible certitude. They didn't know yet what God was going to do. He was pleasing to God. But I believe as parents, there's a word here about seeing in each of our children, seeing them as the gifts they are intended to be. By faith. And, and no parents, you may not see it right now. You might not know what it looks like right now, but parents, by faith, do you see each one of your children as well-pleasing to God? Do you see the impact that they can have for the Lord? You have been drawn out, spiritually speaking, each, each of you. Each of you need to get this. 
And remember this, that when you look at this sticky note in the days ahead, I want you to know that God has drawn you out of the darkness. He's conveyed you into the kingdom of the Son of His love. You were once dead, the Bible says, but by God's grace, you have been made alive. You have been drawn out. You are here to give God glory, to enjoy Him forever. You've been drawn out for that reason. Drawn out for the glory of God. Drawn out to witness to Jesus. Drawn out to walk in the power of the Spirit to be a difference maker in God's kingdom. So I'm, I've been drawn out. What's the second key identifier? Look at verses 24 through 27. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Love the end of 26 and 27. Here's the second identifier. The first one is, I've been drawn out. Here's the second one. I've been called out. I have been called out. If you go back with me to the Exodus account in chapter 2, in verse 11... It came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, when he'd become of age, he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he goes out and he sees two of his own brethren, Hebrews, fighting. And he says, why are you striking your companion? And he said, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. The terminology in Exodus 2, he went out to his brethren. He looked at their burdens. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. And then he went so far as to kill one of these Egyptians. You see, already in Moses' life, there's within him something stirring, identifying himself as one of the Hebrew people. And when you go to the point of murdering someone, I think Moses was pretty stirred up about this, folks. He was pretty stirred up about his people being oppressed at this time. You see, we've got to remember, having grown up in, the, in Pharaoh's household, Moses had the best of the best available to him. Going back to what Stephen says in Acts 7, verse 22, he describes it this way. Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. That's what we just read in Exodus chapter 2. He was visiting. And what he saw, he didn't like. He ends up fleeing the Midian after murdering the Egyptian. And he spends another 40 years on the backside of the desert in Midian. And in Midian, he marries Zipporah and becomes the son-in-law of Jethro, the high priest, a priest in Midian. And there in Midian, Moses has two children. And life seems to be settling down for Moses until the angel of the Lord shows up in his life. You know, interestingly enough, Moses is tending Jethro's flock on the backside of the desert. Ordinary work happening, just an ordinary day. 
And then he sees this bush on fire in the desert. And he sees that not only is it on fire, but it's not being consumed. It catches his attention, so he turns to look. And Exodus 3 verse 4 says that when the Lord saw Moses looking, he said, Moses, Moses. Moses says, here I am. And God identifies himself to Moses from the burning bush. And he goes on to explain the situation of his people back in Egypt. Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. The Lord says, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up from the land to a good and large land. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Verse 10. This is one you can mark. Exodus 3.10. Come now, therefore, and I will send you, Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Exodus 3, verse 10, is the call of God on Moses' life. Moses didn't ask for it. He wasn't waiting for another assignment at this time. He was married. He had two sons. And from all we can tell in the scriptures, he had a wonderful and wise father-in-law. Moses wasn't sending out resumes looking for other jobs. And yet God appears to him in the midst of his current job and calls him out for an assignment. Now Moses is one of many in the biblical record that received a direct calling from God. Jonah, remember his calling? Go to Nineveh. Why? Because their wickedness has come up against me and I need someone to go and preach a word of repentance that's needed. Or what about Noah? Noah, build a boat for you and your family so that you can be saved in the midst of this unrighteous generation. The call of God. You see, God uses his people to effect change here on earth. He wanted Jonah to get God's word to Nineveh. And he called Noah to build this ark to preserve his family in the midst of a pending worldwide flood. Remember, he called Jeremiah even to go and speak to his people. And he told him ahead of time, he said, go, I want you to speak my words. I also want you to know they're not going to listen to what you have to say. There's a great assignment for you. Speak to a rebellious, stubborn-hearted people. See, God uses people, and he calls people out to act on his behalf in the affairs here on earth. And the faith of Moses during these formative years of his life are instructional for all of us, especially so in light of the culture and environment we live in today. You see, the Hebrew writer here in, in chapter 11, he wants us to see what living by faith looks like in the life of Moses. I want you to notice something here in these few verses that I read. Moses refuses some things, and Moses also deliberately chooses some things. Okay, don't miss this. This is very important. First of all, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused. That's what the text says in 24, chapter 11. Being called son of Pharaoh's daughter, listen, that was a ticket to the express lane of life in Egypt. Moses, as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, would be one of the royal heirs, would have a grand title, position, and rank the remainder of his days. 
a refusal to be associated with as, or as a son of Pharaoh was essentially profaning the name of Pharaoh. It was a decision that would ultimately burn a bridge he'd never be able to cross again. He refused any title, position, and rank that came with a connection to Pharaoh. And he chose instead the path of a Hebrew. Think about that for a moment. Verse 25 tells us something he chose. He chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. Let me ask you a question. Why would anyone choose to suffer affliction with the people of God at this time? Remember the question we asked early on, is your life explainable by faith? Why would anyone choose to suffer affliction with the people of God at this time? Enslaved and mistreated, Moses put his lot in with the Hebrew people. He chose to suffer affliction. Look what he refuses. Verse 25. He refuses to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. As the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he could have indulged himself in the pleasures of sin. He could have catered to the flesh and wallowed in sin's momentary thrill. But Moses refused. He resisted sin. Now, many of us here are not in a position that Moses was in. We don't have an unlimited budget to enjoy the pleasures of sin, as Moses did. Moses was in a prime position to have it all, literally, and he refused it. What a great example. He refused it. Look carefully at the text. He refused sin's infantation. He said no thanks. It essentially slammed the door on a life of pleasure and fantasy. Look at verse 26. Look what he chose. He chose to esteem the reproach of Christ of greater value. Matthew 5, 10 through 12, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, Jesus says, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 1 Peter 2.21, Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. 1 John 3.13 says, Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Do not marvel if the world hates you. And then Acts 5.41, they departed from the presence of the council after having been flogged, the apostles. They were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Moses chose to esteem the reproach of Christ greater riches. Greater than what? The text gives us the answer at the end of 26. He refused the treasures in Egypt. He refused the treasures in Egypt. We live in a money culture. Money, money, money. Get it? At all costs. Some people in pursuit of money have pierced themselves through, Paul says to Timothy. The love of money being a root of all evil, right? Pursuit of money, pursuit of the dollar bill. Moses 
esteem, he chooses to esteem the reproach of Christ greater than having treasures in Egypt, which he would have had at his dispense. We ask the question, how does the reproach of Christ, how is that deemed of greater value than the riches of Egypt? How does one come to that conclusion? Who in their right mind is going to make that choice? How does one ever arrive at making such a decision? Again, the text gives us the answer. For he looked to the reward. He looked to the reward. Faith. Moses' life is explainable by faith. Human wisdom doesn't lead to this kind of decision-making. Only faith in God makes sense of this. He looked to the reward. You see, the one who comes to God, we've already read this earlier in 11, must believe that he is, that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And Moses was confident in who God was, and he held on to the reward yet to come. Moses forfeited, listen, what he forfeited. He forfeited and he refused title, Rank, position, pleasures, and riches. That's what he refused. He looked to the reward. Now, he couldn't see it, mind you. He couldn't see it. But he was fully convinced in God and in his word. And he refused the earthly temporary pleasures and chose instead to receive the title of being a lowly Hebrew. He chose, rather, to suffer affliction. He chose the reproach of Christ. See, when you're called out by God, you are called to live like a child of God. And living for the Lord requires faith. Without it, the Bible says, you cannot please Him. And so faith-filled people live like called-out ones. Did you know that the church of Jesus Christ is deemed a called-out people? Ecclesia is the word in the original language, called out ones. A holy nation, a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. We are a, a group of sojourners and pilgrims who are called to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. We're called not to love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. We're called to put on the Lord Jesus Christ to make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. We're called to be holy. Why? Because God himself is holy. And he said, be holy, for I'm holy. See, Moses is an example of what it is to embrace a set-apart life unto the Lord We're called out by God that we might live out his will. We're called out to represent him as an ambassador here on earth. We're called out to shine like stars in this perverse and wicked generation. Moses chose, look at verse 27. He chose to forsake Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Listen, he physically left Egypt. He had it all. And he left it behind. And the question is, how could he have left such a good thing? How does someone leave such a good thing? 
I love the end of 27. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. That goes back to our definition of faith, doesn't it? He saw him who was an invisible. He, he looked to his reward. Removing himself from Egypt was essentially unplugging from all that he'd known up to that point in his life. And you see, it's one thing to just voice a new path or direction for living. It's another thing to actually remove your feet from that place. His first 40 years were primarily spent in the palace of Pharaoh. And he forsakes the known, the comfortable commodity of Egypt. And the explanation from the text is simply, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Listen, a called out person refuses certain things, forsakes certain paths, and abandons certain ties from the past, knowing that he is a new creation in Christ Jesus. A called out person chooses to use his mouth for good, for godly edification, that it may impart grace to its hearers. He chooses to be kind to one another, tenderhearted and forgiving one another, knowing that God in Christ has forgiven him. He chooses to renew his mind through regular intake of God's word. If you read the Gospels, you see that Jesus was living a called out life. Jesus refused to take too much stock in the things of man. He refused to squander his days in frivolous matters. Jesus refused to participate in unrighteous activities. He refused to compromise his purpose for coming to earth. But Jesus didn't just refuse some things. He also chose to do some things. He chooses to do the will of his Father. He chooses to seek and save that which is lost. He chooses to seek out the marginal in society and breathe life and hope into them. He chooses to keep going even though others hated him. He chooses to stay the course. He chooses perseverance and endurance all the way to the end of his life. You've been called out. And when you read that sticky note, I want you to know that God has set you apart. For his special purposes. Maybe it's not to rescue a nation from the hands of Egyptian bondage. But what is it? How is the Lord going to use you in these days ahead? When you read this message, I'm hoping it causes you to pray diligently. Asking of God what he has for you. You see, he's called you out to make a difference in the lives around you. He's called you out to use you. Are you available and ready to be used by him? That's the question. Here's the third key identifier. It's found in verse 28. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Key identifier number three. So we've looked at, I've, I've been drawn out. I've been called out. This one is, I have been sought out. I've been sought out. Verse 28. The fact that Moses kept, the word for kept is instituted. He instituted the Passover. The idea here from the text is not that Moses on a one-time deal kept the Passover, but it's an ongoing keeping of the Passover. Listen, the 10th plague, remember the 10th plague, right? You had these plagues. And in the plague, the last one had to do with killing of the firstborn son in Egypt. And God instructs Moses in this plague. He instructs Moses. He goes to Moses and he instructs him on how to avert the wrath of God coming. 
blood over the doorposts averted the wrath. God sought out Moses. This is so important for us to get. God sought out Moses and instructed him on how to escape the wrath of God to come. Moses then instituted this Passover for Israel as an ongoing reminder of God's deliverance and rescue out of Egypt. You have been sought out. I was thinking of the song, O victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me. He sought me and bought me with what? His redeeming love. His blood redeemed me. He loved me ere I knew him. All my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. His blood. When you see this sticky note, I want you to remember that you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, that you have been sought out by God himself and saved from wrath to come. That's the idea of the Passover. The blood over the doorpost, what did it do? It wasn't just something we know as a factoid. What did it do? It saved them from the angel of death who was coming. It passed over them because of the blood. God instructs Moses on what he needs to do to avert the wrath that's coming. So when we read, I have been sought out, we ought to be grateful beyond degree for God telling us, showing us in his word what it means, what it takes to avert his wrath, to be saved from his wrath to come. To be redeemed, yes, through his son, but to be saved from the wrath to come as well. Romans 5, 9 says, Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Let's look at one final reminder, some, one final identifier. This is found in verse 29. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, where the, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. In Exodus 14, the people of God are encamped by the Red Sea, and they looked in the rearview mirror to see Pharaoh and his army pursuing. And verse 10 in Exodus 14 says that they were very afraid, and they cried out to the Lord. Then in verses 11 and 12, it's, I want you to notice what Moses says here in the text. If you turn to Exodus 14 for just a moment, in Exodus 14, Moses says to them, because there, were no, uh, because there were no graves, this is what they're saying to Moses. These are some questions. The series is about three or four questions. The text says they were very afraid. And so the questions are going to help us understand. Yeah, they, were pretty, they were pretty frightened to see Pharaoh again in the rearview mirror coming after them. Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt? Saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better... For us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Now I want you to capture their words to Moses. And then I want you to return back to Hebrews eleven twenty nine. It says, by faith they passed through the Red Sea. They passed through the Red Sea. The people of God passed through the Red Sea. It's true. They did. The text though here in Hebrews 11 almost leads you to the conclusion that it was the people's faith that led them through the sea on dry ground. And I think the text is teaching us something very important here. I want you to look back in Exodus 14 how Moses responds to the people. He says in verse 13 and 14, 
of Exodus 14. He says, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. And in the very next verse, God speaks to Moses and he says, tell the children of God, children of Israel to go forward. Tell them to go forward, Moses. And then look what Moses says in verse 16. Look what he does. God says this to Moses, lift up your rod and stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. This is the fourth, this is the fourth marker here that I want you to get. I have been made to stretch out. I have been made to stretch out. This is where the terminology comes from right here in verse 16 of Exodus 14. God tells Moses, lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. The people, listen, the people are called to go forward, but all they see is water. God tells Moses, stretch out your hand across the sea and divide it. I believe that Hebrews chapter 11, verse 29 is telling us that one man of faith, the example here being Moses, one man of faith has the power and potential to affect the course and direction of a nation. The Hebrews, as seen back in Exodus 14... They were far from faith. In fact, as you keep reading, and as we've already discovered here in Hebrews 3 and 4, unbelief is what keeps out a whole generation of those folks. They didn't believe. And yet God uses right here as an example, God uses one man's faith to escape the clutches of Pharaoh's army. One man's faith can influence a nation. One man's faith can change and make a difference in everything. You have been made to stretch out. God called Moses to take action that day by the Red Sea. He was given work to do. And Moses responded to God's voice with what? Obedience. He responded to God with obedience. He stretched out his hand over the sea and it divided just like God said it would. And the result? The whole nation of Israel crossed over as on dry ground. Now, when God calls you to do something, it's your job to respond by faith in obedience. You might find yourself in the midst of an unbelieving generation. You might find yourself in the midst of a peer group that's not a believing peer group. Take courage when you read this sticky note. One man, one woman of faith has the power to alter the course of history. The stretching out represents the activity God is waiting for you to move on. So there comes with that a question or two. What's the stretching out he's calling you to, friends? What is he waiting for you to do? What does he want to do through you if only you'll respond by faith and obedience? We see all kinds of examples in the scripture that speak to this. Uh, People who stretched out for God. I think of Paul and how he stretched out proclaiming the gospel to see that the entire Mediterranean world and beyond heard the, the gospel truth of Jesus Christ. I think of Esther. She stretched out as she approached the king. Even though her life was on the line, she stretched out and God brought victory for her people because she was willing to stretch out and be obedient. Listen. The gospel is shown here in these verses. I believe in all its brilliance. 
God draws men unto himself, doesn't he? God calls out his people to glorify him and serve him all their days. God has sought us and he's bought us and he reminds us that through his blood we are redeemed and we are saved from the wrath to come. And God sent Jesus to stretch out on our behalf. Did he? Jesus died on the cross. He took action on our behalf and effected the greatest change ever known to man. Because he was willing to stretch himself out for us, we now know what it is to be forgiven. We now know what it is to be cleansed from all unrighteousness. We now know what it is to be called a chosen child of the king. So we have four identifiers. I have been drawn out. I have been called out. I have been sought out. I have been made to stretch out. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, because he laid down, he stretched out his life for us, and we also ought to lay down or stretch out our life for the brethren. Let me ask you this morning, friends. Is your life explainable through human wisdom or by faith? Remember that your life lived tells the true story. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these reminders of who we are. Thank you for the word that challenges us and calls us to remember who we are in Christ. Remind us, Lord, we've been drawn out. Remind us that we've been called out for your purposes. Remind us that we've been sought out. I'm reminded of that father in the parable of the lost son who was seeking his son, standing out by the door, looking and waiting, seeking. We thank you, Father, for seeking us out. And we thank you, Lord, that you have made us to stretch out. You've made us for a particular purpose and work to accomplish. Father, I pray like Moses, we would be Obedient and operate by faith. Trust that what you say is true and walk in that truth. Pray, Lord, that you would reveal these things. Keep these words close to our heart, I pray. May we be reminded of Moses and his example. But, Lord, most of all, may we be reminded of this gospel truth that's reflected in these few verses here in Hebrews 11. May we live out the gospel. May our lives be a story that others can read that speaks of the truth the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray this in his name. Amen.